off your mission team, sit with that group. You guys need uh, outlines? They're up here for you. Just trying to look at the quiz questions. Trying to cheat. <laughs> All right. So we're going to take our quiz. It's going to be five questions. That's all. Five simple questions for the quiz. What do you need? Yeah. I got one. All right. Anybody else need an outline for discipleship? That's what we're going to go over. Okay. Everybody's good. So you're sitting with your group. I'm going to give you five questions for your quiz, and we're going to see which group is not more spiritual, but uh, more equipped from our last time. So you're going to need something to write your answers down on. Um, if you want, you can write them on the, the outline paper that you have there. Um, you can write on your phone that the other person... You're not going to grade it, though. Somebody in your group is going to grade it. So, like, you'll take the test, switch papers, and somebody else is going to grade it. Okay, this is not a group test. You're going to take this quiz by yourself. After the quiz, you're going to pass it to somebody in your group. Somebody in your group is going to grade it. <laughs> How we come to church with no pen or You can write it on your phone. Write it on your phone and let them check it on your phone. Or just slide over. Yeah, whoever. Oh my goodness. Okay, from now on, let me go through this. Bring your Bible, your pen, or paper. Alright, here we go. This is the quiz now. Five questions. Very simple. So all you gotta do is write down the answer. What is the first scripture in the Word of God say? All you have to do is write this, the Bible verse. You don't have to say anything. What is the first scripture in the Word of God study? So when you sit down with somebody, the first scripture you open up, when we did our outline yesterday, the, or last midweek, the very first scripture we started with was, blah, blah, blah. Don't say it out loud, though. <laughs> nope, just the answer. Just the answer to the question. So this is not the answer, but if the first scripture was Genesis 1-3, that's what you would write down. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. That was an example. The what? It's the same scripture as the old one. Okay, question number two. What does Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 talk about? Now here is a lot. You can have multiple answers. So that scripture, Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13, can talk about this and this, or this and this. It's not just one right answer, but anything from that scripture that we share when we're doing the word study. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. David, are you cheating? It's not a group effort. <laughs> I said that very plainly. What happens when you cheat in a church event? <laughs> yeah, we gotta sit you back in the corner by yourself. <laughs> okay. So I'll repeat that question. What does Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 talk about? You just have to put one thing down that it refers to. Okay. Question number three. What does John 8, 
31 and 32 talk about? You just got to put one thing down. It talks about a bunch of things. John 8, verse 31 and 32. It's your choice. Any of the options. One more time. John 8, 31 and 32. What does that talk about? What do we share about in regards to that scripture? Okay. Not yet. So I'll repeat all the questions at the end and then we'll grade them. So now we're on question number four. What scripture talks about you must watch your life and doctrine? Both of them have the same value. Your life and your doctrine. I gave the example of getting on an airplane. You've got to have both wings. You can't just have one. So it's not just I know what the Bible says. You have to live it as well. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you'll save both yourselves and your hearers. What scripture and verse is that? Yeah, I'll repeat the questions, though, for somebody that walked in late. That's question number four. I'll repeat all of them real fast at the end. Okay, question number five. According to John 12, 47, 48, what or who would judge us on the last day? So on the last day, what or who will be our judge? So... When we die, who or what is going to judge us? Is that pretty clear? So I'll go back. I'll repeat the questions really fast. Question number one. What is the first scripture in the Word of God study? When we sit down with somebody, what is the first scripture we say? Okay, let's turn over to this. It's the same scripture as you had in the old Word of God study. So it's the same thing. That one hasn't changed. Second question, what does Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 talk about? Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. It talks to us about something with the Bible. I mean, whatever you share with the person, what do you talk about in that? So it can be more than one answer. So from Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, what is that about? The third question, what does John 8, 31 and 32 talk about? And then the fourth question, what scripture talks about Watch your life and doctrine closely. They must match. And then the final question, according to John 12, 47, 48, what or who will judge us at the last day? Okay, so with somebody in your group, switch up the papers so somebody different needs to grade your paper. If you're by yourself, there's nobody else in your group, just switch it with somebody. All right. Now, when I ask the question, don't blurt out the answer. Just please raise your hand, and I'll call on you to give the answer. Everybody switch up. Here we go. Question number one. You can, it's, it's correct if you wrote it in Spanish. It doesn't matter. English or Spanish, it still can be correct. Okay, first question. Number one, what is the first scripture in the Word of God study? Who has that one? You got that one? Go ahead. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. You can just put 16, that's fine. 2 Timothy 3, 16. What? All scriptures God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, righteousness, for the men of God and be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, second question. What does Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 talk about? Anybody? Yes, sir. Okay, you can give any of those points. What you said is true. So he talked about the Word of God is living and active. What's, up? What's another answer? Yes, sir. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Yes, sir. Judges, thoughts, and attitudes of the heart. Yes, sir. 
teaching, rebuking, yep. Everything is uncovered before the eyes of God, to whom we must give an account. Yes, yes. So, penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Exactly. Okay. If you got any of those answers, it's correct. It doesn't just have to be one. It could be any of those. Number three. What does John 8, 31 and 32 talk about? Yes, sir. Hold to my teaching, you're really my disciple. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Exactly. So, what that's talking about, belief is not enough. You can hold to Jesus' teaching, uh, hold to the truth, you'll be set free. Any, any answer in that area will work. Yes, sir. Yes, you have to obey his teaching. Correct. Okay, question number four. What scripture talks about your life and doctrine must match? You got all these. I ain't calling you. <laughs> Alex. First Timothy 4.16. First Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you'll save both yourselves and your hearers. Exactly. Okay. Question number five. According to John 12, 47, 48, what or who will judge you at the last day? Yes, sir. The Word of God, the Bible. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn, I came to save. But those very words which I spoke will condemn you at the last day. Now, here's the bonus question. So if you miss four and you get the bonus right, you get 100%. Bonus question is this. Wait, what? Whoa, wait, wait. You'll see what I mean. So the bonus question is this. If you did the Word of God study this week, or at least a couple of scriptures from the Word of God study, that is bonus for you. So whoever paper you have, just ask them, did you study the Word with somebody this week? If you did, there's no bonus. If they did, you can put a bonus on their paper. Alright, so great them, give them back. Give them back to the people who have the papers. Okay, who all got 100%? Raise your hand. Five people got 100%. Six. Okay, who got four out of five right? A whole lot more. That's as far as we're going to go. I ain't trying to embarrass nobody. <laughs> okay, it is important that we not just go through these and learn something new, but that we really understand, okay, this needs to be a part of me. This is something you can do for your quiet time, something you just got to put inside of you. Not that you have to memorize everything, but this is a good teaching tool for you. And that's very important. Because you may have a conversation with somebody and one of these scriptures come to your mind. You may talk with somebody and they have all this biblical knowledge, but they're obviously living the wrong life. You know what? 1 Timothy 4.16 says you've got to watch your life and doctrine. I mean, you can, you, you can be equipped to do good work by just memorizing some scriptures. Amen? Alright, we're going to go. If you did not get an outline for discipleship, I do have others. We have a bunch of them. Anybody else need an outline for what we're going to do now in discipleship? We'll hand them out. There's a brother in the back, too. Okay. So, referring back to last week's study, what is something, maybe, it doesn't matter, it could be pertaining to the study or just how we set up the study. What is something you remember we talked about that stood out to you? From the last study that we did before. It could be any, anything at all. Yes, sir. Right. It's important when you go there just to have a copy ready for your friend. So you're studying with them like this, just give it to them when you're done. It's important that we have something ready for them and it's not just trying to scribble on a piece of paper. 
because we're talking about somebody's eternal salvation, they shouldn't have to decipher what we wrote on a piece of paper. It's important that we take the time, and that shows them you care about them by giving them something clearly. Yes, sir. Why? Don't have those super long, let's all hold hand prayer time. Oh, Jesus, Lord, thank you for creating the earth. Okay. Let's just have a focus prayer time. Yes, sir. Uh, make, make sure they feel secure and comfortable. If they have a challenging time reading, don't ask them to read. Make sure you're not sitting above them, looking down, down on them. No, make sure you're eye to eye, everybody's comfortable. Don't study in the back cave. Don't find the darkest corner to study in. Make it cheery. Yes, sir. Make sure you're leading the study, you lead the study. Brother Bob, who's in the study with you, he cannot go on a rampage preaching about stuff. Shut him down. Bro, we can say that for later on. I mean, you have to make sure you're running if the person you're studying with talks a lot, you know what? We'll have a lot of time to keep talking about this later on. I want to get through this today. And that's why we have relationship building time. Exactly. A couple more, then we're going to move on. Yes, sir. Antoine. When you're done with it, the next thing, tell them the next thing I want to study about is discipleship or the kingdom or um, repentance, whatever. So they'll know what's coming their way. Don't you feel good when you know what's coming? But if you just walk it into something, I don't know what's going to happen. That just makes you insecure right off the bat. Yes, sir. Last one. Spend time with them. Studying the Bible, we're not studying with a project. They're not a project for you to check off. It's a relationship that's being built. So even after the study, call them, text them, see how they're doing, pray with them on the phone. Hey, we got church this Sunday. You want to grab some lunch afterwards? Do you need a ride? I'll take the bus with you. Whatever. But it's a relationship that you're building, not just get through the studies. All right. We're going to talk about discipleship today. And uh, Scott's not here. I was going to convert Scott again, but I don't know where Scott went to. Hey. David. David. Can you come down and sit here so I can study discipleship with you? You can, you know. Right there, brother. Thank you for being a, thank you for being a willing participant. Now, the purpose of discipleship. Again, you're going to start out in prayer. We're not going to do it at this moment, but we're starting out in prayer. But the purpose of discipleship, uh, you're studying with a person and you're wanting to help them understand what discipleship is. Because the world has a view of discipleship, some of them do, but that may not be the biblical view of discipleship. So it's important that you have a good time with them, you pray. I will follow up with the last study. Hey, do you have any questions about the Word of God study that we did? Uh, what was going on there or anything? No, everything's good. Good. How's your reading going? Uh, I only read twice this week. Okay. Well, you got to read more than that. You can't just do it because I'm reading with you. You got to do it. Talk them through it. You got to remember, people don't know how to have quiet times. You can't pull somebody out the world and say, have a quiet time, and they know what you're talking about. Sometimes we forget to teach people how to have a quiet time and how to pray before they become baptized disciples. It doesn't just miraculously happen, guys. People who've been in the church 10 years still struggle sometimes with having a quiet time. We have to teach people, how do you read? I'll, I'll pull out a paragraph and say, let's go through this paragraph, and then let's just ask ourselves questions about it. But we have to teach them these things. So, I would say, David, how do you define what a disciple is? David will, yes. You you're the new guy. You're the new guy. Uh, I say a disciple is, is a student. A disciple is a student. You know what? That's very good. What's your definition of a Christian? How would you define a Christian? You don't know. Okay, and, and that's understandable. 
What I'm going to say today, if you remember before, in the Bible, the word Christian is only used three times. But the word disciple or a form of it is used over 270 times. So the Bible doesn't tell you how to become a Christian, but it does tell you how to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's what I want to look at, because a lot of times we feel like we know what a Christian is, but it doesn't matter what we feel. What matters is what the Bible says about Christianity. So, I want to start in Acts chapter 11. And at this point, because I've read with David during the week, or I've talked with David, I know if David is a good reader or not. That's why you have quiet times with people also. Now, after reading with David all week, oh, David's a good reader. So, he's not going to feel weird if I say, do you want to read? So, that's another reason why you start building that relationship, because you can find out what people are all about and who they are. In Acts chapter 11, we're going to read verse 19 through 26. And my daughter gave me her Bible, and I cannot see this thing for nothing in the world. Whew, I must be getting old. You can see this? <laughs> All right. Hey, Dave, why don't you read this from here? Just for a second. I would have him do it. <laughs> Verse 19 through 26. Sounds good. 19 through 26? Yes, sir. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men, some of them, however, men speak for speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and had a great number of people who were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for the whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Thank you. Very good, David. Now, let me ask you a question, David. What, do you consider yourself a Christian? Would you say you're a Christian? No. No? Okay. Would you say you're a disciple? Well, if you got to think about it that long, David, the answer's probably going to be no for you, buddy. So, And I would say that. If they start thinking, you just got to help them out in their determination. So that's totally fine, because I wasn't either. I had no idea. So don't make yourself sound more spiritual. I had no idea. So that's why we're going to study this, and that's why it's important. You know, the Bible said that they were following Jesus, and then persecution started, and all of a sudden, all his disciples scattered everywhere. So they left David because people were trying to kill him. And so here's Barnabas, who was a great disciple of Jesus. He went and he saw, okay, look at what's going on here. This is incredible what's going on here. But I need somebody to help me. So Barnabas went to look for his friend, Saul. Found Saul, and they brought him back. And together they were in the city of Antioch. And they were teaching and they were doing incredible things for God. And the people saw them. And they saw how they were living their life. And they said, you know what? Look at those Christians. Now that, back then, was a slang terminology. So it wasn't something that was, like, great to be known as. But they called them Christians because they followed Christ. So they were Christ followers. Now, that's the label that was given to them, Christians. But what were they before they even got to Antioch? It was the disciples. So a disciple is what I am. A Christian is a label that can be given to you. And so that's why we want to look at what is a disciple. Because we don't want to live off of labels. You know, people have all kinds of labels, but that's not who you really are. Who you really are is what really counts. And see, back then they were killing Christians. And so if you and I were unsure of whether or not you were a real disciple or not, I would walk up to you and they had little signals that they do with each other. And so they would just draw a line like this, a little square line. And I would say, oh, so he knows what it is. So then I would connect it the other way. And that design comes up to be a fish. You ever see those little fish in the back of people's cars? 
That's what people use as an undercover sign of I'm a Christian and you're a Christian. So now I can talk freely to you. Now we can have conversations because I know it's safe because you knew how to connect it and shape it into the form of a fish. And that's just an important thing to remember because a lot of people today don't really want to talk about God if they feel like somebody's looking at them and they feel insecure. So what I want to help you to do is realize what a disciple is. Because that's the most important thing, being a disciple. We don't want to be labeled a Christian. We want to live as a disciple. So over in Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at this, Mark chapter 1. So just thinking about that, David, the word disciple and Christian, they are really synonymous in the same meaning. It's a label given to somebody that's already being a certain way. So if a person says, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a disciple, that can't be. If a person says, I'm a disciple, but I'm not a Christian, that can't be. They're the same thing. See, for me, I thought I was a Christian because I went to church here and there sometimes. But then when I was asked, what's a disciple? I thought that was like a higher Christian. Like you had to work your way up to being a disciple. I had no clue about what that really was. When I realized I'm not a disciple, then I also realized I'm not a Christian. Because they're one and the same. Over in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, this is something that helps you to understand, well, in being a disciple, what does that really mean? Well, in Mark Mark chapter 1, verse 14, now you get it. Since after John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for their fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make, I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brothers uh, John in a boat preparing the nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired man and followed him. And the incredible thing here, David, is that here's Jesus. He's out preaching. He's out teaching. And he finds these guys who are fishing. Now, fishermen, that was the lifestyle back in the day. It would be like computers and IT of today. That was the way people lived their lives. So Jesus went up to him and he said, come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Now here's the important thing. The first thing Jesus told them to do was what? Come follow me. He gave them a purpose to come and follow him. So that needs to be their whole purpose in life to now follow him. He said, once you start following me, I will make you fishers of men. What do you think that means to be a fisher of men, David? Literally, yeah, it, it would be like fishing for men. You know how when you go fishing, you cast a net out back then? They didn't have just the little poles. They cast a net out and they would pull it up in and catch all kind of fish. Some of the fish were good, some of them wasn't. The fish that weren't good, they throw them aside. But the good fish, they kept. So we are to go out into the world and cast our net into the world and pull as many people as we can into a relationship with God. And this is an important thing for all of us. At one point, we had it twisted. We would say our purpose is to be a fisher of men. That's not the purpose Jesus gave us. The purpose he gave us, number one, was to come follow him. That's our purpose, to be like Jesus, first and foremost. Then he said, now here's a mission for you. Be a fisher of men. Our purpose to be like Jesus, our mission to help other people come into the kingdom. We had that reversed at one point in our lives. At least I did. You may not want to admit it. And I thought my whole purpose was to be a fisher man. Bring people in. Bring people in. That's not what Jesus said. Because if that's your purpose, then somewhere along the line, you stop following him. And you're more focused on, am I doing these things of bringing people in? And my salvation is based on bringing them in. Instead of, my salvation is based on me living like Jesus. First and foremost. Now, after I live like Jesus, I'm able to be a fisher of men. 
Because now people see me like Jesus. There's a light. There's something about me that they want to be like because I'm being like Jesus. And then we can make more people like Jesus instead of workers. I don't know. Am I the only one that was on board on that, on that ship? Okay. Yesterday, looking at me like deer in the head like, that, that's reality for us here. Now, in living like Jesus, we got to understand that still means we have a mission to accomplish. And that mission is to help save souls. See, David, when I was growing up, my whole mission and pur- my whole purpose in life was to play football and make some money. That's all it was about. So you know what? I worked out a lot. I, I went to the gym. I practiced. I studied my playbook. All I did was focus on my purpose. Well, once I studied the Bible and realized, you know what? I have not once. I, I don't even know how to help somebody else become a Christian. So this obviously is not my purpose. So I'm obviously not a disciple. I'm obviously not a Christian. It just broke me down right then and there in reality. Because that was not my purpose. But now it's my purpose. And that's what I want to do. And so now it leads me to a mission of helping other people. So you got to ask yourself, David, was bringing, following Jesus and bringing people to Jesus your purpose and mission in life? Would you say yes or no to that? No. So if it wasn't, you can't say you're a disciple. And I appreciate you already said that, but I'm just trying to confirm what you're saying biblically instead of just talking about it. So if, if that's not your mission, that's not your purpose, your mission, you're not a disciple. That's just not for when we're studying the Bible. That's for us right now, today, this very moment. We've got to ask ourselves, is my number one goal following Jesus? Second to that, am I about my mission? Because when we first get baptized, we really believe we're going to save the whole world and we're going to do everything we can and we share our faith with whoever and did whatever. Has that faded away? Well, there was turmoil in my life. There was turmoil in the church. Seriously, there's turmoil everywhere. But that didn't stop Jesus from sacrificing his life for you. So it shouldn't stop us from sacrificing and trying to help other people. So the first thing we see here is they, 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 they were labeled as Christians, but really we need to be disciples. And then secondly, my whole purpose is to be like Jesus with a mission of bringing souls in, being a fisher of men. I want to call us to this, guys. We've got to come back to our real purpose and mission for Christ. Because honestly, let me just break this down. I ain't trying to say it because it's on tape, but if you look around this room... You see, there's a lot of people that are not here. That tells you, number one, there's a lot of people not about their purpose of being like Jesus. Why would you miss this opportunity to learn? What, what is more important? Unless somebody is sick or the doctor, there are reasons that something can happen, granted. But not just because I'm a little tired. I'm sure Jesus was really tired when he was getting beat and crucified. We've got to ask ourselves, do I just sit and watch these things happen? Or am I going to say something? Am I going to be my brother's keeper? Am I going to challenge people? What am I going to do? Or do I just sit here and say, oh, that's just how it is? Guys, we are the men of the church. We have to lead the way in the church. And first and foremost, we have to be like Jesus. And then we have to help as many souls as we can to be saved. Now, I know there's got to be more than one brother in the congregation who's saying amen. Are, are we like, seriously, like, this is not, this is not registering? I just got Rosetta Stone. I know I'm, I'm going to learn another language later on, but I, I think I'm talking English right now. So, even in that, if you notice, I was given a brief sharing about my life and how I didn't know about discipleship, how I didn't know about Christianity. As you're doing the studies, we've got to be real and we've got to be humble. Sometimes it's been so long since we did a study, we don't think we were ever at that place. Oh, yes, we were. You've got to help them to realize, yes, I was not just like you, I was more jacked up than you were. And we've got to help them see that. So, next scripture I want to talk to us about here is the standard of a disciple. Look in Luke chapter 9. 
Now we're going through this again for studying with other people, but guys, first of all, we need to apply all this to ourselves and not just gain more wisdom to help teach somebody else. We need to make sure we're doing this first. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 18. And David, this is the standard. In other words, if anybody wants to be a disciple, we all are held to this same standard. In verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? Uh, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets of long ago who's come back to life. Well, what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. This is a different version, but that's all right. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. You know, this is a very important scripture here. Jesus tells them very clearly what's going to happen to him. He says, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to raise on the third day. You know, the chief priest, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die. My commitment to God is so strong. My Father in heaven, I'm going to die for him. Now, if anybody wants to follow me, Anybody wants to be a disciple, this is what must happen. You must deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow me daily. And so he makes it very clear. The standard of being a disciple, deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow him. And so when you look at this, if you think of deny yourself, David, this is what he's talking about. Anything that comes above God's will in your life, you need to deny yourself and make sure God's will is above it. So, think about this. If you were on a diet and you walked in and I had this big, nice chocolate cake sitting there, you may want some, but you've got to make a decision. Am I going to deny myself or am I going to go ahead and eat that? So it's just a decision you have to make to deny yourself. Then he says, carry your cross. Well, what happens on the cross? That's when a person's crucified. That's when they die to their way of life. It's no longer there. And then he said, follow him. This is important because to be a disciple, we must deny ourselves, carry our cross, and follow him. And so, David, for me, I call it the three L's. This is something I need to deal with daily. Laziness, lust, and lying. Those are the three things that I have to focus on. Being lazy, more or less even procrastinating. So it's not just flat out lazy. It's just I'll get around to it or I'll do it. It's just certain things that I'm, I'm not as disciplined on as I should be. Lust. Just maybe not even fantasizing about a girl, but just even taking that second look again. Because sometimes something will just happen and somebody will be in front of you. There's nothing you can do about that. But if you know they're in front of you and then you turn back again to try to take that look, that's when you're falling into the lust. And then just lying about things. Maybe not flat out lying, but just changing it or, or, or being deceitful, not telling the whole story, not putting it out there. Those are just a daily battle for me. And so this is what he's saying. You can't be a disciple unless you deal with those things. Again, that's just me. What would you say you'd have to give up that you don't have to answer now? But I asked the person, what is it in your life? Now, I just shared those three things about me. They're going to come out with something, trust me. It may be really shallow or it may be something that you got. Let me say this. When you hear something that's like overwhelmingly shocking, don't go, oh my goodness, you are insane. You got to be calm and cool when you're hearing stuff. So if he says something like, I have to deny myself of, you know, wanting to actually murder people, I'm like, really? <laughs> just give the eyeballs up, shake your head. Keep that in mind, but just shake your head, you know. And that's what you do. But sometimes people will oh my, your expression will just shut everything down. This is something I learned on the fire department. A lot of times we go there and blood squirting out of people everywhere. And you just got to walk up, press on it, you know, okay, be main calm. Now if I walked up there, I get off the truck, like, oh my gosh, look at that blood. It's just going to squirt even more because they're going to be freaking out. 
you got to make sure you don't respond emotionally, but that you just like, okay, keep it in mind, but you just keep rolling with it. But what he's talking to us about here is that we need to deny ourselves, carry our cross, and follow him daily. When you carry your cross, again, that's what you die to your old way of life. So all the things you used to do, you no longer worry about or do those things. You need to get off of BET. You need to get off those late night Snapchats. You need to get off all those things that you are doing that are making you ungodly. It's important for you to understand there's things you like, but then you have to do God's will above what you like. And look over in chapter, in verse 57. Same chapter, I'm sorry, Luke 9, 57. So David, we looked at what is a disciple. It's not just a label of a Christian. We looked at, okay, what is my purpose? Okay, to follow Jesus first and foremost. But then my mission is to help bring other people to Christ. And then what is the standard? Everybody has to deny themselves. From the, the, the preacher to the newest Christian to the person standing, everybody has to deny themselves. I don't always wake up saying, boy, I'm ready to go to church in the morning. And I'm the preacher. <laughs> so, so, but sometimes you've got to deny yourself. You've got to be ready. That's just reality. But I can't say, I'm not going today because I don't feel like it. Imagine 500 people sitting here, what's going to happen now? And then that's what I'll be saying about my job. Luke 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man came to him and said, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go back and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, and you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to a plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is a very important one. It talks about the cost of being a disciple. This is part of the cost in being a disciple. And that is this. All these guys came to Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. But look at what the first guy said. When Jesus said, okay, you want to follow me? Let's go. He said, but I don't know where I'm going to sleep. I don't know how I'm going to live. I'm just going to trust in God. The man was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I got to know. I got to have this thing planned out before I follow you, Jesus. I got to know what's going on. See, he wasn't about trusting God. He had to get all his ducks lined up in a row before he would even think about following Jesus. He just made an excuse. The next guy, he said, first, let me go back and bury my father. And you would think of all these excuses, that was probably the best one. But in reality, we know that Jesus is a loving person. It's not like he would have just said something weird. When a person was dying... Like in this case, his father may not even have been dead, but dying. If you go back and be with him, he could have been dying for three years. So in other words, he wanted to go back and make sure everything was right with dad and kind of hang out. And In other words, he said, wait, my dad is more important. He's dying. Yeah, everybody's eventually going to die. And Jesus said, no, let the dead bury their own dead. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand how my family is. I got to be there. And then the next guy comes along. He said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now think about this. If he was going to leave everything and go be with Jesus, if he goes back to say goodbye to his family, they're going to have a party for him. It's like if a person had to go off to the military. They're going to celebrate. They're going to throw a big party. I mean, it's going to be a big scene thing going on. They're going to have a blast. And then he may wake up from being too drunk to follow Jesus. Who knows? Again, all these people made excuses. There is really no excuse to not commit yourself to Jesus. There is no excuse. But people make a lot of excuses for why they won't follow Jesus. Now at this point, I will probably get into a couple of excuses. I would say David will be one excuse that people make for not following Jesus. Give me one. School. You know what? Once I finish school, then I'll commit to Jesus. Well, then when you finish school, oh, wait, after I get a job, then I'll commit to Jesus. Oh, wait, after I get married. Oh, wait, after I have kids. You're about to die. All that stuff you're waiting for is just an excuse. There is no excuse not to follow Jesus. 
And look over in chapter 14, Luke 14. And here's the interesting scripture here. And I'm not trying to trick you, David, but I want you to do this first part for me here. Not in real life, but I'm just saying. Luke 14. And I will actually have them read the first, just the first paragraph, 25 through 27. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, Anyone who comes to me and does not hate his mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, just even his own life, cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I said, now David, what does that mean? And at that point, they're like, wait a minute, I don't understand this. There's, there's something that ain't right. I said, well, what, do you, what do you think it means? Go home and slap your mom in the face? You got to hate your mom and dad, right? I, I don't understand this. I don't want to study anymore. Calm down, David. That's not what he means. This is a hyperbole, an extreme exaggeration. In other words, if you can measure your love, you should love God so much more than your mother, father, wife, and children, it would look like hate. It would be such a large separation between the two. And the thing you've got to remember, David, is when you do love God, you're going to learn to love other people the right way. So, as you do start to love God, you're actually going to love your wife and children, mother, father, more than you did in the first part. So, this right here is just showing you, why do you think he chose these relationships? Mother, father, wife, and children. Why do you think he chose them? Because they're close to you. Think about it. If you met somebody on the street that said, I don't want you going to church anymore, David. You'd be like, I don't even know you. I don't care what you think. But if your mother, father, wife, or children say something like that, either you stop going to church or I'm divorcing you, that's going to be a little different. That's going to be tougher on you. And so that's why he pulls the people who have the most emotional connection to you as the ones. we got to make sure that our relationship with God is above. Now, you look at this, and he's saying, this is the commitment that I want from you. You need to love me more than anybody else. And at this point, I would just say, David, who do you think would be the toughest person for you to make sure your relationship with God is above in your life? Okay, it could be your father. And sometimes it could even be yourself. Because it says, yes, even his own life. So it may not be your mom and dad, wife and children. It could just be yourself. Because sometimes we love ourselves, David, so much more than everybody else. Because think about it. Sometimes your dad may tell you something. You'll be like, I ain't doing that. And how many attitudes you give with your dad? But if you don't feel like it, you don't do it. So there's a lot of things it could be. But we've got to make sure a disciple has his relationship with God above every other relationship that there is. Then it goes on to talk about the next scripture. If two kings went to war, I would actually read it. But I'm not for a sake of time now. Two kings went to war and fought each other. One king lost. They're not going to be king anymore. They're going to be serving the other king. We can't defeat God. We're going to lose the battle in the end. So the best thing to do is to surrender now and become his servant instead of fighting against him. And then he goes on to tell us if we're going to build a house. Think about it, Dave. What if next door to you, you saw this guy actually, he bought a lot and started building a house. He had the frame of it. He even bought furniture inside, but he didn't put the roof on. And he didn't because he ran out of money. And you know how much it rains here. Imagine, what would you think of that guy right there? And he says, hey, I got some great uh, property I want you to invest in. What would you think? He's like, what kind of fool you think I am? You didn't even plan well enough to build a roof on your own house. Why would I give you money to invest in this is what he's saying. You've got to think about this before you make this commitment. See, David, in our church, we're not trying to just get people in the church. What we're trying to do is help people have a relationship with God. And that's what it's about. So we're not just trying to get you to join our church. We're trying to get you in a relationship with God. The rest is up to you. You'll see it clearly as we keep studying. But the important thing is between you and God right now. Now, look over in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 44. The scripture here talks about uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. 
And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And this is interesting, David, because the way they had their treasures and money back in that day, they would actually bury it somewhere in the ground. And so this guy was walking along and he found this treasure, but it, wasn't, it would be stealing if he kept the treasure for himself. So instead he went back and sold everything and bought the whole field. So now the treasure he found would legally be his. So that's why he sold everything, because he knew that treasure was so incredible, it's worth giving up everything he had. And he was happy to do it. So he bought the whole field, and now the treasure's his. David, when you start studying the Bible, and now you realize what a real disciple is, a real Christian is, it's such an incredible joy that we need to have the same attitude. You know what? I'll give up whatever I need to give up so I can be right with God. And this is an important thing for us to understand. There's going to be things pulling at you, but the most important thing is that I can have a relationship with God. Now I know the biblical way to do it. Then he went on and said, like a fiery merchant looking for pearls, found one of great value, went away, sold everything he had, and did it. Each of these guys, when they sold everything they had, were they upset about it? No, they had a lot of joy. A lot of joy to give that thing those things up so they can have a relationship with God. That's how important it is to have a relationship with God. Again, if you remember back to the word study that we did last week, it talked about that God will equip you for every good work. This is what God is saying. I found something that is so great for you, you should give up everything you have because it will be well worth it in the end. And now look over at Matthew 28. This is the last scripture I want to share with you here uh, in this study. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. And eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had them to go. I know I can't even see this. Can you read that for me? Can I read that? All right, here we go. I can read. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus says here, Go and make disciples of all nations. After you make disciples which is what we're trying to do with you, David. Show you what discipleship is all about. You make a disciple, you baptize them, and then you continue to teach them. So David, what we're doing here is trying to help you see what it takes to be a disciple. The choice is going to be yours. All we're going to do is just show you everything we know from the Bible to help you make the decision. You can look at it all and say, I don't want this. And then you don't. You're still going to be my friend, but then that's your choice. Or you can look at this and say, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I want this. Then it says, after you become a disciple, then you got to baptize. Then we'll have a baptism. And then it says, continue to teach them. So that means after baptism, we're not just going to say, okay, go be warm and well fed. We're going to continue to help you see this. So I want you to understand, a relationship with God is like a marriage. You think about it. You finally find somebody that you like. Then you start courting them, dating them. And then you say, you know what, I'm pretty serious about this. I'm going to get engaged. Then you get a ring, you get engaged. Are you still married yet? Nope. Not to that ceremony. And the preacher says, you're now husband and wife. When you stay in the Bible, right now, you're just trying to get to know God. And as you see different things, you got to make a decision. Okay, I'm ready to get serious about this. It's kind of like your engagement. I'm ready to get serious about this. But you're still not a disciple yet, just because you're serious. You're not a disciple until baptism. When you come out the waters of baptism, your ceremony. So it's just like a marriage, which is why we're called the bride of Christ. A marriage, the same process, is the same process as we're going through here in helping you become a disciple. And that's the important thing. Because even after this, we, we need to talk about some other things, like, well, what is the kingdom? Well, what do disciples all do when you're together? What is it all about? 
That's what we're going to look at in our next study. We're going to look at the kingdom study and see what is the kingdom about. Let me ask you that. What is the kingdom of God? What do you think that is, David? You know, you sound like you're not too sure. I wasn't sure either. I thought the kingdom was just heaven when I go up to heaven. But you're going to see something totally different when we read the Bible and do the kingdom study. It's going to be incredible. You ever see Mission Impossible? One of those movies and they see all these clues and stuff. That's what this is going to be like. You're going to be like, how does that happen? All these different things coming together? It's going to be an incredible thing. That's the next study. But this one I want you to look at. Discipleship. Go home. Read this over. Think about it. We'll talk more. When you see Lamine on the way home, y'all can talk in the car. You can do all kinds of things. Set up a quiet time with them. But you got to keep reading your Bible every day. That's what's important. So let me ask you this. I know you already said it, but I just want to be sure, because Satan can sometimes get in there. Do you see yourself as a biblical disciple of Jesus right now? No. So does that mean you're a Christian or you're not a Christian? Right, so that means you're not a Christian either. Exactly. Now, I'm not saying that to depress you. I'm saying that because now you're going to find that treasure, just like the man we read about. And so this is what I want you to see. So you explain it to them, but you end up with some faith, encouragement, building them up, but help them see it's important. If you notice, as I've talked through it, I still refer back to the other scriptures, the other Word of God study, everything we do. You've got to keep bringing it home for everybody. In our next study, I'll be bringing up discipleship again, again, and again. It's important for us to, as we study with people, we are reviewing them. By the time I get to the church study, at that point, I really don't even need to count the cost because I've been counting the cost every single study that we do. The cost study, I do it, but that's going to be something like just kind of going through it because you already made these commitments. Now, I know we're going through the studies and this is kind of a different way. But after being here for five weeks and talking to different people, uh, I'm not saying we got to go in this order. Remember, this is just a principle. Depending upon the person, that's what you study. So it doesn't, like, I'm going to go through the Word, discipleship, kingdom, light, darkness, cross, all that. But if you're studying with somebody and they need the cross or they need the sin study, you do it. Do whatever the person needs. So I'm not saying this is the only order we do for salvation. No. Let's be honest about it. It can't work like that. So I don't want to be a, create robots. We're just trying to help understand how to do the studies and put them together. Because I met some people and I talked to them. And one guy is, has four kids. Two of them his. Two of them his, his wife. Well, lady he's living with. They're not even married. They got all these kids together. And I'm thinking, man. If I do light and darkness with this person before I do the cross study, how are they going to get out of that situation that fast? I mean, it's just there's some situations that just life has put people in. We can't box them in a structured study system. So in a situation like that, I probably will do the cross first so they can understand the love of God before I get into all those other things. So I say that because I want you to know it's not a set pattern and doing these things. You meet the person's needs where they are. That's the most important thing. So, amen. Any question about something I said? Yes, sir. Stand up. What, what, like, what would you do if they say yes? I'm going like, to decide. Like, he said no. If they say yes, mm-hmm. what would you do? When you first start out, and I say, would you consider yourself a disciple? Yes. Would you consider yourself a Christian? Yes. I say, okay. Well, let's keep reading the Bible and let's see how the Bible defines it. And we'll talk about this at the end of the study. I would not make a big issue of it right then and there. Because as you keep reading and you go to the purpose and the standard, it's going to start convicting. Well, I ain't been doing this stuff. So then when you ask it at the end, their answer may change. If it doesn't change, then I will talk it through with them at the end. But don't make a big issue of something at the beginning. Just let God work during that time. Say it again? Yes. Yes. If he, even if he said, yes, I'm a disciple, I still would do this. Yes. Because at the end of this, you're going to realize he's not. But at the end, if he still refuses, say, yes, I am a disciple. You know what? I don't need to argue with anybody. There's like 1.7 million people here, I need to say. Well, great. It seems like you got it all together. We'll just be great friends. 
but I need to go help some more people. Would you like to join me in studying with somebody else to be a disciple? No. Well, isn't that your purpose? Uh, yeah. You're still my friend, but there's a lot of people. Don't get hung up on those conversations or people. There's too many people to say. Any other questions? Well, great. Yes, sir. I would. That would be a different situation. Uh, there are specific studies. Uh, for example, is one we call the road to Damascus, which is a study you do uh, for somebody in that situation on their deathbed uh, that can help them in that one study come to some conclusions and convictions because they can't go anywhere. They can't do nothing. So, yes, I wouldn't do discipleship per se, but I would do one of our other studies that can help them in that situation. Guys, you're going to stay with a lot of people. I studied with, I had some strange studies I've done. Uh, I studied the Bible through with a lady before. Uh, well, no. It was a guy. It was a guy that had a, that had sex change. And so it was a woman. So, but all their sin was as a man. So I'm sitting there with this woman going through everything. Because the light and darkness, it was during his man stage. And so it was really awkward. Uh, but, but you had to, to have those conversations. What? Did it what? Oh, no. Because all the way to the end, and in that situation, it was just simply, I was like, you know, that being the case, you know, if you did become a disciple, you're going to have to let whoever know that you were formerly a guy beforehand. And they didn't want to do that. You know, I'll say with people that were deep into organized, stuff. And uh, one guy I studied with, he was deep into the uh, uh, Muslim religion. And he had done some things that weren't legal a lot. And he knew that if he left, it could cost him his life. But we studied all the way through. I went and knocked on his door Sunday morning. He, was, he called me. He was ready to go get baptized. Knocked on the door. He wasn't there. I thought, okay, well maybe he went to church ahead of me or something. Went to church. He didn't show up at all. I went back. Knocked on the door. He said, He's gone. Slam the door in my face. He's gone, man. He's gone. And so he never even got baptized, and they never found him anywhere anymore. Um, but people like that, I believe, even somebody like that, that's between them and God, but I'm sure God allowed him to make it to heaven because he was all ready to go, and just the lifestyle he was living caught him before the Lord did. So... And he had, he had also done that to other people, so he knew that that could be the outcome for him. But he was willing to take that chance on dying to be right with God. And so I look at that and I'm thinking, okay, we got we to gotta really call people to a commitment, guys. I was in, in college and I was studying with a married guy and he said his sin, I was at his house, he was a married guy. I was at his house on this farm and he said, uh, uh, my biggest sin is that I murdered somebody. And I was like, whatever. You shouldn't do that. But I was in college. I didn't know it. I said, whatever. He said, no, I did. Seriously. I said, okay, show me the body then. He took me in the backyard, dug up the guy. He had a bullet hole in his skull where he shot him point blank and then ran him over with a tractor and buried him. And the thing about this guy is that he confessed it to me and said, I need to go to the police because I have to clear myself in order to be right with God. That's, that's where he was at with that. I don't know if it's just the guilt for so long, but he had decided I need to give up everything to be right with God. And that includes me confessing to the police what I did. He caught his wife with this, with this guy and he killed him. Now the wife knew about it too. So for him to clear himself, he had to also... Put her in the situation. It was amazing. Best part about it, I saw him at Reach last year in St. Louis. So that tells you. And this was, I mean, this all happened 26 years ago, but here he is later on. Still a disciple. And I look at that and I think, 
Now, how much stuff do people not confess today that's nowhere near that kind of situation? It makes no sense. I, I see him as a real disciple. All those other people covering up stuff, that's not real commitment. That's not real discipleship. I would take my chances with that guy over somebody that's hiding stuff any day. But uh, I know that's a little bit more than this study can handle. But <laughs> I'm just kind of letting you know, you don't know who you're going to study with. And they may come out with something strange, something crazy, but it's important that you stay calm, that you talk to them, don't freak out, and don't use names. You have no idea who I'm talking about. You may have sat by that person and reached, but you don't know who I'm talking about. Anyway, a couple announcements before we go. This, this Sunday, uh, all the singles, you're going to be meeting in a whole separate... Se- Is that what you want to talk about now? You're going to be meeting in a whole separate service. We have multiple announcements.